Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zechariah. <clears throat> he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short and could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sacramental fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacharias, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw him and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacharias stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came back to seek and to save the lost. Before I dive in, I'd love for you to just pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this space and this day. And Lord, I ask that as we dive into this passage, as we look at generosity, you would speak to our hearts. You would reveal yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hear it echoed over and over again from people. I want my life to matter. I want to do something that is important and fulfilling when I get to the end of my day. I want to feel like I spent my day doing something worthwhile. Study after study shows that millennials, actually, this new generations of adult, which I try and make sure I'm not one of them for some reason, um, that we're longing to change the world, right? We long for our lives to be important. And yet over and over again, when I talk to people, they're kind of on the verge, They're lamenting that they are exhausted and overwhelmed. They are busy and they are scattered. They aren't sure that the things that they're doing in their life actually matter. They're not sure that they're doing something worthwhile. They have rushed from one event to the next, not sure if it's a part of their calling or a part of their mission, but unable to actually slow down enough to even consider if it is. There's this disconnect between this deep desire that we have to live a life that matters and our ability to actually be present long enough to contemplate whether or not the activities that we have packed our day with are contributing to a life that we so deeply desire to live. Today, as we continue this series for the sake of others, we are examining the role of presence the power of presence to give us the type of lives we desire, hoping to reconnect our longing to live lives of substance with the practices that enable us to do so. The failure to be present is obvious in our culture. It doesn't take much convincing to realize that it's a problem. Presence means, right, to truly be right where you are, body, mind, soul, spirit, you're here in the place where you are. If you tried to have an important conversation with someone and they're constantly checking their phone, or now we're more subtle about it, right? Checking the wrist. You know what it's like to be in a conversation with someone who's not fully present. Or if perhaps you have been on your way somewhere and arrived somewhere and realized you don't remember how you got there because you were so not present. There's been a spike in mindfulness and meditation classes and resources. And as a society, I feel like we've identified we're not doing a great job at being present. I know for many of you, even right now, you're thinking, what what is happening if you feel a buzz in your pocket, right? 
What's happening? What do I need to check that's not happening? We can't be present because we're distracted. And one of the major sources of distraction is that miracle that we carry around in our pockets. It truly is a miracle, right? This is Jetson stuff that we can FaceTime with people and video chat and real time. It's amazing. But it also is this tremendous source of distraction. The Journal for the Association of Consumer Research did a study where they were looking at the effects of our phones and the distractions of our phones on our work. And so they had 800 people take their phone and turn it totally silent. It was on, but no buzzing, no pings, no anything. And they either put the phone on their desk, or they put it in their pocket or in their purse, or they put it in another room. And it doesn't take much guessing to realize that even though they weren't checking their phones, those who had the phone visible and out were much more distracted and unable to remember things, unable to complete very simple tasks. And those who had the phones in another room far surpassed those who had the phones out. We are saturated with distractions that pull us to another part of the world, that pull us into another person's life, that pull us all over the internet. But the distraction of the device is often fueled by something deeper in us. It's not just this device. It's fueled by something deeper in us. It's reliving of the past or an imagining of what the future might be. For many of us, our distracted lives are fueled by a longing for or a reliving of the past. We're longing for our past or or wanting to go back and fix it reliving it. Potentially it's because we have shame over the things that we've done and we keep going back and we keep thinking through these things that have happened in our life, reimagining it, wishing that we could have done things differently. Or there's disappointment that we haven't done more, that we're at a point in our life where we think, well, I should have done this at this point in my life. I should really be here now by this, by this point in my life. Potentially there's regret over something you've said, over something you've done, and you live in the past and you, and you relive it and you relive it. Or there's some of you where you're convinced that your best days were in the past, and all you want to do is go back there, right? Get back to when things were a certain way, and so you live in the past. We long for the past, and when we long for the past, we're pulled out of the present. When we're imagining how it could have gone differently or longing to pull it into the here and now, we can't be present. For others of us, we are distracted and it's fueled by an anxiety about the future. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if we're going to make it. We're afraid. We're thinking through all these different options of how to live, comparing ourselves to where other people are. How are we going to make ends meet? How are we going to control our circumstances so that we're okay? And we're caught up in imagining the future and have this anxiety and fear about what's to come. So again, we're pulled out of the present. If you look at those two things, what is it for you? What would you say is it more, do you spend more of your time living in the past or more of your time freaked out about what has not yet happened? I believe that in order for us to live a life that is meaningful, that is fulfilling, that is eventually bigger than ourselves, we need to learn how to be present in the here and the now. There is a power to presence that is revealed to us in the life of Jesus. The story that Kevin just read for us from the book of Luke, the story from the life of Jesus gives us a picture into the power that is unleashed 
when we are present. And I encourage you now, go ahead, if you have a Bible on your phone or if you have an actual physical old school Bible, how incredible is that, right? Pull it out. We're going to look at this again. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and he made his way through the town and there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich. Imagine if you knew the IRS guy was sitting next door to you, right? He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. I can't relate to that. I've never been short. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus! He said, come down quick. I must be a guest in your home today. I found a picture of a sycamore tree. This is a sycamore tree in Jericho. This is the one, if you go to Jericho, they'll say this is the actual tree that they believe Zacchaeus climbed up in to get a sight of Jesus passing by. Why would Jesus offer his presence to that man? He's in the middle of a procession. He has crowds of people following him, wanting his attention. And somehow he has the presence of mind to stop and see what I imagine is a bizarre sight, a fully grown man up in a tree. This guy Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector in the region. It doesn't say that Jesus knew him before, but it seems as though Zacchaeus' reputation precedes himself. He's so notorious, so infamous, that everyone knows who he is. Jesus is stopping his procession to speak to a local loser, and no one is happy about it. They're displeased and they grumbled, but Jesus isn't concerned with the opinion of others. Just a couple of weeks ago, my husband and I were heading to Nisi right here to watch Game 7 of the World Series. And this is it. Game 7, you know, that's the last game, okay? You can't, like, this is the end of it. Were you happy with the results, Gloria? Yes? Okay. And we're walking up, and there's a woman who meets us right outside the door, and she wants to talk a lot. And it's a little chilly outside, and I have a plate of nachos inside that I'm sure has my name on it, and she wants to talk. And I know this person. I've known her for a few years, and I love her. And everything in me is going, but I got, but I got, a, I got something else that needs to be happening. Jesus is able to have the presence of mind to stop for a guy like Zacchaeus, and I can hardly stop for a friend. What would it take for me to have presence of mind enough to be aware of what's happening around me and to stop on my commute each day? To be able to be aware of what's happening around me. I'm not so overwhelmed and concerned with all that I need to do and all that I need to get done. Typically, I go through life, don't slow me down, don't get in my way. I have places to go and things to do. But here we see Jesus stop. And how does he do it? What is happening in Jesus' life that allows him to be in the moment enough to see this strange sight, but also see that the kingdom is about to break through? Where he's able to live unhindered by his past, not concerned with the fact that people have grumbled at him before, unafraid of his future with an undivided focus in the present. 
I believe that Jesus is able to be that present because he has been present with his Father. Jesus' presence with his Father precedes his presence with others. Our presence with our Heavenly Father precedes our ability to be present with others. And the reason for that is because our presence with God, our presence with our Heavenly Father establishes our worth. It is from the presence with the Father that we get our sense of worth. Jesus is completely confident of his worth. This is evidenced by the fact that he's not living in his past. He's not concerned with what people have thought about him. Nowhere can Jesus be found fretting over a decision he's made or something that he's said, wondering if he's made the right call. He's not consumed with the opinions of others around him. And as he sees Zacchaeus, he's able to be attentive to what it is that's happening right in front of him because he's not distracted by the voices around him of those who have disdain for Zacchaeus. He's not impacted by the opinion of others because his identity is firm in the Father. His worth is fully established from his presence with the Father. What he engages in in that moment, he knows he's not going to then in the future regret. Many of us, we are not sure about our identity. And so we can't stop because we are constantly trying to secure our status. We are constantly scanning and searching for someone to affirm us and tell us who we are. This is so obvious on social media, right? Posting small snippets of information about ourselves, desperate for someone else to find them interesting. Tell me that I'm lovely. Tell me that I'm worthy. Tell me that what I had for dinner last night was interesting, at least that. Maybe if enough people click a button and affirm me, I'll really feel okay. It sounds silly when we say it out loud, but the reality of how much time is spent just trying to gather the perfect picture, the perfect post, the perfect words so that someone will think I'm great, pulling us out of the present. For many of us, our jobs are a place that we're scanning and searching for someone to affirm us, climbing whatever ladder we can, obsessed with the numbers, obsessed with the awards and the accolades. If I can just have enough money, status, power, authority, maybe then I'll know who I am. For some of us, it's our relationships, right? Our status of relationships or our lack of status of relationship. We're defined in our roles as wife or mother or father or brother or girlfriend or sister or daughter. We need to succeed in this relationship because if this doesn't work out, I don't know who I am anymore. And so we attempt to control the relationships around us. If they behave the right way, then I'll, then I'll be good. If we haven't spent time with the Father, we are going to look everywhere else for our identity. We won't have the confidence to offer our presence to anyone else because we will be demanding that their presence affirm our identity and our worth. Jesus is confident in his identity. He has been present with the Father, and so he can move through the world unashamed of the past. He's not preoccupied with it. He's present so he can see the people around him. The absurdity of a despised man sitting up in a tree. When you're present with the Father, you know who you are, you know your worth, you can move through the world unashamed of your past. Presence with God establishes our worth and presence with God directs 
our work. When you're present with the Father, you can also move through the world not anxious about the future. I've hinted at it a little bit, but Jesus is on his way to do something. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to what is kind of the pinnacle of his life, which is his, his death. This is where all of the roads are leading, and somehow in the midst of this very important task, he's able to stop. If you go back a chapter to Luke 18, verses 31 through 34, it says Jesus took the twelve aside and he told them, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. They did not know what he was talking about. But it's clear. This is what Jesus has just said. He's now on his way there. When we are present with the Father, we can know our worth, allowing us to be unashamed of the past, and we can be directed in our work, allowing us not to be anxious about the future. He's clear what he has to do, but if Jesus wasn't present with the Father... He could have been running to Jerusalem, missing all the things on the way, bulldozing people in his path. I've got somewhere to go. I've got something to do. Watch out. Myself? With my kids? This happens all the time. I am so unsure of my worth, defining myself by being a good mom, by being a good wife, by being a good pastor, whatever. I am running around, darting all over the place, Because I know I need to be busy. I need to be doing things in order to feel good about myself and do good stuff. And in the process, I consistently flatten my children. Just a couple weeks ago, we were leading a a study group in Queens, my husband and I, and we took all the kids with us. And it's been this great study. We did it here on Wednesday nights, Love Over Fear. I mean, it was just fantastic. You know, we're talking about this amazing love of God, and we, and we wrap it up. We've got all the kids in the car. I have six of them, by the way, so it's too many. But here we are. We're telling people about the love of Jesus. We get in the car. I'm like, sit down. Shut up. You're grounded. Within five minutes, three of the six of them were crying. Yes. It was good. Follow me, kids. But Jesus has been present with the Father. He knows his worth. He knows his work. And so he can move through the world, not anxious about the future and what's coming. It allows him to be present in the moment, attentive, because he knows that his work is being directed for him. We often live anxious, scattered lives because we have no idea what we're supposed to be doing, so we just cram as much in as possible. Well, surely this is going to be meaningful. I don't know if this is the right decision, if I should say yes to this or no to this. I know that none of you would be considered lazy or not busy. That's typically the first answer we give someone, right? How are you? I'm busy. I know you're busy, but... We are in a flurry of activity. But honestly, much of it is useless because we're not allowing it to be our work to be directed by the Father. May I suggest that our work is much simpler than we make it out to be. Much simpler. Being present to God so that we can be present with others. 
being present with God so that he can establish our worth, receiving his love, and then being present to others so that we can move towards them with the love that we have received. What would it look like for this church to be a place that has been so saturated with the presence of God, where we have sat with him, allowing our souls to be confident of our worth, allowing God to dictate our work, where we actually see people when they come through the doors. We are known as people, as we walk down the streets of this island, as people who see those around us. What would that be like, where we remember names, where we listen to people's stories? There may be some of you in here today who are more like Zacchaeus. You're coming in, you're not so sure about all of this. You're like, I'm just... I'm just trying to get a glimpse and see what's happening over there. Is this God worth my life? Is this Jesus actually? Is there something to it? Can you imagine a God, though, who is interested in being present with you? Who wants to listen to you? Who wants to know you? Who will stop everything else he's doing and the important things that everyone else thinks he should be to come and be with you? Jesus is able to be present because he's been present with the Father and we can be present to others when we are also present with the Father. When we're present with the Father, there's a settledness to our beings that allows us then to be generous and live for the sake of others and our presence with them. And in the same way that the presence of the Father changes us, Our generosity of presence with others unleashes power. There is power in being present with people. In verse 8 it says, Meanwhile Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responds, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Zacchaeus is so overwhelmed that he would be given the gift of the presence of Jesus that there is an immediate salvation that comes to his life. He has been living in bondage to greed his whole life, and the presence of Jesus changes that in an instance. There is power in our presence. Right there, on the spot, power is unleashed in the heart of Zacchaeus. Over and over again, Jesus' interactions with people bring healing and restoration and life and freedom. You just do a quick scan through the book of Luke, you see this. He sees a man with leprosy and he heals him. There's a man who's brought down through the roof and he heals him. He sees Levi, the tax collector, and he goes and he has a party at his house. He sees a widow whose son has died and he stops what he's doing and he raises him from the dead. He restores the demon-possessed man. These are all things that happen on the way. As Jesus is able to stop and be present enough, because he's not so consumed with what has happened or what will happen, he can live in the moment to see what's happening around him and engage All the while, those around him are saying, Jesus, what are you doing? As he welcomes children to himself, as a blind beggar calls out from the street, they say, no, 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 don't bother him. And Jesus says, nope, that's where I need to go. 
We are stingy with our presence. We are preoccupied with our past or petrified about our future or paralyzed by the millions of distractions around us. And so we don't see people and give them the gift of our presence in a way that unleashes the power of God. It unleashes power. As we are preparing even to, to come into the Advent story, what is the ultimate gift? It's our God coming and being present with us. There is a power in being present with people. And we believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the same kind of crazy stuff we see in the Gospels, when we stop and are listening and expectant that the kingdom of God is going to break through in our midst, we can see those types of things happen here as well. We desire to live lives that matter, that are important, that are meaningful. May I suggest that it begins with our ability to be present to stop worrying so much about what might be or what was. But wake up to the presence of our Father and the worth that he has declared over your life and the ways in which he wants to use you and direct your steps and work to all of his children around you. So for some of us, you just need to start being present to the Father. You need to start going, okay, I've said yes to so many things, but all of these things have me darting all over with no sense of purpose. I need to figure out how is it that I'm getting in a space where I'm hearing again and again who he says I am, where I can behold God in his goodness. Some of you, that's the first thing. And then for others of us, We need to just start being generous with our presence. Setting aside your devices for an hour, two, 24. Could you imagine? Walk this neighborhood, walk your commute, saying, God, help me to be present. Help me to see these people as I get on and off the train. Knowing that if I engage with them, the rest of the train might think I'm nuts. But God, this is one of your people, and you may have, the kingdom might be on its way to breaking through right here in my midst. God, show me where that is. Choosing the same places to walk. Say, God, show me what it is that you're doing here in my midst. How can I be present to unleash the power of your presence? through me as I'm generous with my presence for the sake of others. The band can come back up. We're going to prepare to receive communion here. And this to me, this is, this is the ultimate expression, right, of God's presence with us. That he comes and he lives this life. He says, I'm with you. I'm here. I'm going to fight to continue to be present with you even though you despise me and you rejected me. I'm here, not concerned about our response, but overwhelmed with the love 
of the Father, that he would come and give his life so that we might know the heart of our Father.